What's up, soccer players? Very special guest episode for you guys today. We have Jai Chopra on. He is an athletic trainer for a Northeastern University soccer team. And we're going to get his perspective on what it's like to be an AT at the collegiate level and what players should really be looking at in terms of return to play. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's start out very, very basic. Will a six-pack help me as a soccer player? Logically. Why pre-game meals are important. If you do strength training, you can generate more force on the ground. It will take you less stride to get that ball. Until you get there, you can make that up with hard work and dedication and training. On top of it, right? So if you're a player that has little to no training history, imagine the, the gains and speed that you can get in such a short period of time because you're doing things. This is why strength training is important. I don't care how you do your strength training. I don't you know, some people like to go to the gym. I just wanted to double down on that really quick. The point is, you have to get stronger. Hello, soccer players. Welcome to the latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It's me, your co-host, Andy, with my main man, Berg. Berg, how you doing today, bro? I'm hanging, man. I'm, can't, I'm hanging. Just uh, get, get reminded um, every Sunday that I'm, I'm not 25 anymore, because every time I, I practice for like two hours, my, my knees just start killing me. <laughs> Oh, man, bro. You see, it's funny because, like, I'm 25, right? And I've been playing a little bit more than – a lot more, actually, than I, than I normally do. And it's like, man, my body – I used to be able to play two hours a day, seven days a week. But, like, oh, it's just not they, Yo, same. you're asking for injury. Two hours a day, seven days a week. No, no. When I was <laughs> young, crazy. when I was young, man. But, like, now it's like my hamstring is a little sore. My, my Achilles is – is a little bothering me. It's like, bro. Uh, oh, you just you just out of shape. You just out of shape, bro. You know, you haven't <laughs> you haven't ran in. You know, it's been we've been we've been cooked up inside. Oh man, but it is what it is. But t- today we got a, a very special guest on Jai Chopra. Jai, tell us about yourself, man. You're an AT out of Northeastern University. Like, l- let's hear your story. Wait, before that, before that, are we are we pronouncing your name the right way? <laughs> uh, he's a little off. It's, it's just Jay Chopra. Jay. Jay. Okay. Jay. Jay, Jay, Jay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're going to start on a good note there. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, let, let's hear your story. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, so I'm an athletic trainer at Northeastern University in Boston. Uh, right now in my role, I work primarily with the men's soccer and women's basketball team. Um, obviously, right now we're, we're going remote doing telemedicine right now, but um, usually during the year, work very closely with the men's soccer team, uh, travel with them um, all throughout the season, and also help out with a little bit of their list and stuff like that. Nice. So, like, what what's your journey into soccer, really? Like, did you kind of just fall into it, or did you play as a kid, or, like, what's up with that? Yeah, played all throughout um, middle elementary school, middle school, high school, and then um, actually got hurt in high school. Um, had FAI and a labral tear in my right hip um, that I just never did rehab for and just lived in chronic pain pretty much all throughout my playing days and then kind of had to stop uh, right after high school due to the the chronic pain that I was in Um, and that kind of you know kind of spurred the the route down athletic training and getting involved with soccer and stuff because I definitely wanted to stay pretty close to the sport and stuff like that you know I definitely still like watching it every weekend and playing it if I you know when I can when I'm when the hips feeling all right so um you know that was that was kind of the big the big push into athletic training and sports medicine your hip is okay now right 
Ah, uh, still chronic pain. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I still can't play soccer for for like over thirty minutes. To be honest with you, otherwise it just starts getting cranky, and the next couple of days aren't aren't too hot. Okay. How old are you, Jay? I'm about to turn twenty-five in July. Okay, let's go oh, twenty-five. That's young, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's young, but you gotta get that looked at, man. <laughs> 25 game this is our prime right here but um <laughs> so kind of walk us through what was that transition like going from uh, a multi-year transition of going from a player actively playing every week to um still being there every week but in a different capacity as an athletic trainer um what was that transition like for you honestly it was really tough because every single time i i walked on with the team to the to the field and to the you know for training and for games I just wanted to hop on to like actually play you know I didn't want to sit on the sideline and just you know help the injured guys or just kind of watch and you know root them on from the sideline so that was rough just you know just having a different role on a soccer team um, but you know once I actually started getting deeper in to the sports med world and athletic training it really you know that soccer experience really really helped because I knew firsthand uh, the demands of what the athletes were going through, both in terms of just normal performance and then um, trying to get back from injury. Um, so that helped out a lot, um, especially because I played a different, couple different positions um, in middle school and high school, so that helped out a lot. Um, and I also you know, I can relate to them when, they, when they're injured, but they just want to get back on the field. You know, no one really wants to be on the sideline for too long with an injury, and you, know, you try to push yourself a little too much um, or maybe a little too soon. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's very good to have that experience as an athlete, as I'm sure both of you can, can relate to, you know? Yeah, yeah for, for sure. I know when I had my, um, I had a, a surgery on, on my tibia and I was coming back doing return to play and things like that. And there was just one day where I was like, you know what, screw the plan. Like, I'm just going to go out and shoot. And that wasn't the best idea, but that, that day in particular, it, it was a big blow to my confidence because like, I couldn't shoot. I just couldn't do it. And I, I think um, one of the things that you're really good at and that's highly emphasized in your programming is a good return to, pre- a good return to play process. Um, what's kind of like that bridging the gap for you? Yeah, so um, honestly, with a lot of the, the athletes that we do rehab for, um, at the division one level, they're very, very motivated, right? That's how they got to that level um, in the first place. And that's what's going to keep them there. And that's what's going to keep them successful is that they're, they're incredibly motivated. They're, they want to participate no matter what in their, in their craft and be great at it. Um, unfortunately, sometimes when someone gets injured, um, you know, I'll be doing rehab with them pretty much every day to get them back. And then once their pain goes away or they're able to run again or their function comes back, bye-bye. I'd never see them again, you know? Um, and, you know, that's great that your pain is decreasing, that your function is increased. That's obviously what we want. Um, but we always have to ask, are you ready and prepared to fully return to your sport and be not just return to it, but be great at it and actually perform at a high level. Um, so that's, you know, a lot of times we, we call that kind of bridging the gap between rehab and performance uh, just because, you know, you'll do the rehab and then you got to push yourself a little more to get back to that that part where you're performing you're you know setting prs you're you know getting better each day at practice and through games um 
And a lot of times that'll present itself in a lot of different ways. Either athletes will come to me and they've said, hey, this body part that I've injured, it's feeling a lot better than it was a week ago, but it's still not 100%. And I just don't know what it is. Like, maybe it's my confidence. Maybe it's just I need more time. Like, what is that? Um, for soccer specifically, sometimes that looks like, hey, I can do smaller side drills just fine. Maybe like a 5v2, even like a 3v3. But once we hop onto a full field of 11v11, that's when they start to struggle either through lack of confidence and they think they're going to get hurt or they just can't perform well because of pain or lack of function or something like that. So um, <clears throat> I imagine, um, well, I can't imagine. So I have to ask you, how much selling are you doing to, to get players to do, to transition from, to stick around after they finish their rehab and to go into that process of, returning to play because you, you tell me like some players just realize that on their own um what about the other ones that <laughs> that comes to you like how do you try to like keep them into into the the the, the rehab phase so that they can come back a hundred percent i imagine you have to do a lot of selling and and if you do how much of that are you doing yeah it's it's really hard to get them to to be consistent after they've returned to to practices and training and even games um a lot of times unfortunately it just doesn't happen you know uh, we just try to do our best job to try to educate them and say hey you know we don't want this to be a chronic injury um you know we try to you know maybe point to past injuries that they've had or you know you can look at like maybe some pro players that they may know or some of their teammates that you know they know that have gone through some chronic injuries um and kind of just show them hey like this is what can potentially go on um, so you definitely have to sell, sell that to them um, in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, you know, something that I try to rely on a lot is our performance testing. Um, at Northeastern, we're lucky. We have a lot of different ways that we can implement some performance testing that gives us objective data. Um, and one thing that I've noticed is that athletes and coaches love, you know, pretty graphs and, and numbers mm -hmm. they can actually see that instead of me just kind of preaching preaching my gospel you know because i'm always going to say it but if they can see it for themselves that's that's going to be the most powerful thing um so um that includes stuff like um counter movement jumps on our force plate that includes some variability testing whether that be you know range of motion at the hip um, some inspiratory tests stuff like that um but it, yeah it is tough and some most times it's just you know that return to performance just doesn't happen i had a kid I'm, i have a kid i'm treating um 16 years old acl injury and uh as soon as he started to do some running and he gets his confidence back next thing you know i see the kids because i live in a city that he lives and i see the kids rollerblading and doing like all kinds of trick and i'm like oh my god <laughs> i mean on, on the one hand, it's great that he's got the confidence to do, roller, to do rollerblading and doing tricks on one leg. But at the same time, like, I look at him and he's, like, one step away from, like, entering it again. So I literally had to, like, write up the whole plan, the, the return to play plan, and then show it to him. Like, I'm like, okay, so we're in this phase. So this is what I want for the next two months before we can get into, like, you know, rollerblading and whatnot. But if you do, if you are going to rollerblade, please, <laughs> I was like, please, just, 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 just be safe. You know, it's this, some of those athletes, you know, on the one hand, you get them 
um, they, 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 they don't buy into the process and, and then you, you get another one that's just, you know, too early on, they're so confident and they think they can do anything. So I always right. find that showing the plan always help. Yeah, and you definitely don't want to diminish their confidence either, right? Like that guy that you just mentioned, it's great that he has that confidence in his knee. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to diminish that at all. You want to keep that going. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's really tough to kind of reel them in then, as I'm sure you, you're, you're noticing, you know? Yeah. So as you're kind of doing this return to play and you're, you're looking at the demands of, of the game of soccer and with the player coming back, you want to be able to hopefully get them back to either the same level or even better from a physical perspective. In terms of demands of the game, what exactly are, are you looking at to, to try and improve? Yeah, so I try personally with soccer, um, kind of just, or I guess any sport, just to kind of break it into um, some, you know, three to five fundamentals um, of the sport um, that I see as going to be the most demanding and taxing on the body. Um, so for soccer specifically, I kind of like to break it up into four kind of subgroups. Uh, first one being force, force production. You can think about that as like your acceleration phases, acceleration, um, you know, demands. Um, second one being force absorption, so the deceleration. Uh, second, or sorry, third being variability, so that's your change of direction, agility, stuff like that. And then um, the fourth is kind of like an overarching principle of just volume, um, the volume of uh, matching it to their position, and then that just that specific athlete. Um, I think I can't. I think it was Berg who mentioned it a couple episodes ago when he was talking about Jordi Alba. Um, in the 90th minute trying to, you know, do a full field sprint and then having the concentration to, to, uh, to score at the end of that. And, you know, his, let's just say his hamstring strain rehab is going to look a whole lot different than a goalie uh, or even a center backs, you know, okay. like he's got to have so much more volume just because of his position as an outside back. And then also just because he's Jordi, Jordi Alba and just the way he plays, you know, he's going to be up and down that field so many times he's going to have to do a lot more sets of, I don't know, Nordics than yeah. a goalie or a center back would. That's, that's very interesting because on one hand, that, that's a very interesting perspective. You could break it down in so many ways. Like in my head, I break it down. I say, okay, let's look at speed. Let's look at strength. Let's look at endurance. Yeah. That's what and I then, was thinking. Muscle endurance. Yeah. Then here you are, you're, you're breaking it down into different, different buckets but the same content is going into each bucket right so for for me looking at endurance you're saying okay let's look at endurance in terms of volume which is also very important um that's a very interesting way to look at it i like looking at it that way yeah we don't we don't really look we usually say we usually um, use a strength and conditioning um words and the the fact that we we hear you saying in a different way it's it's like when you said volume I was like oh okay I, I get what he's saying now that's good yeah right so yeah. what what are some examples of like let's say let's take Jordi Alba for example or an outside back who has a lot of volume right um, what are some of the drills and and exercises you would try to give someone like that at their return to play stage. Yeah. So um, it's kind of, it's kind of all encompassing, right? Like 
um, I would just make sure for me personally in my rehab that I try to hit at least one exercise of each of those four um, those four principles that I just mentioned. So um, for you know an outside back with a lot of volume for let's just say acceleration or force production, I'm going to do a ton of repeat sprints, maybe some fast sled pushes. Um, I'm going to get them on the force plate and do some double or single leg jump tests. Um, and I'm going to do that to a much higher volume, like I said, of, um, compared to another, another athlete. Uh, if we just want to go down that list for force absorption or deceleration, I'd focus a lot on some depth landings uh, or eccentrically based exercises like um, a Nordic curl and SLDL or even a squat um, if you position them correctly with a longer eccentric phase in that or a tempo, you know. Um, you can even throw in some split squat iso holds, you know, just to change up that stimulus a lot. Um, and then for the variability for him, I do a lot of, you know, cutting reactive exercises because a lot of his game is, at least defending, is based on the movements of other players, right? It's not mm -hmm. always him that's initiating his own movement, either if that's someone, you know, moving the ball away from him or someone, you know, initiating some contact with him. Um, and I I love to incorporate other players into rehab exercises if I can. Um, a lot of times we'll have, you know, anywhere from two to five injured guys on the sidelines. Um, and I can, you know, group them all together and have them doing um, some, some drills on the side of practice when they can't be training fully. So what's it like kind of being very specific with your players in terms of positional rehab when like, let's say you have an outside back who sometimes plays center back or an outside back that also plays center mid or something like that. Like at that point, what do you focus on more of the individual or of the position that you're hoping to return them to? Yeah, I think that kind of really strongly relates back to that bridging the gap between rehab and performance, right? Like if I feel like someone's really, or if a player is really, uh, prepared to be a center center mid role, um, but they may not be fully prepared to be doing those full sprints up and down the field. Uh, that's something that I can always, you know, talk to our sport coach about, like all the soccer coaches and say, hey, you know, he may have a, tr a lot of trouble of, you know, those longer sprints that he likes to do, but um, if we keep it kind of tight and kind of controlled in that center mid position, then I have full confidence in him um, within that role. Uh, and then, you know, that's honestly – something that me and the sport coach have to talk about and in terms of just our confidence with, with that player, um, both in terms of his ability to perform at a high level and then also um, possibly the risk of re-injury. Because uh, that's definitely something that you have to think about as well, you know? You have a bump head with the coaches? Like you tell the coach, okay, if he, if he, if he goes and play right back it's, he's not ready yet he's gonna get he's gonna injure himself but if you play him that if you change the formation and stay in that position staying as a as a center back instead instead of putting him straight to the into the wing then you're confident that you're gonna he's gonna be able to play um without injuring himself and do you do you find that you struggle with the coaches to actually <laughs> try to keep the player healthy because some coaches they say yeah yeah okay and then they go and don't listen to your recommendation. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know, honestly, thankfully, we haven't had uh, – I can't even remember any situations where, um, you know, I've had to 
I've said, you know, this athlete can play this position, but not this position. Um, pretty much, um, you know, the athletes have their specific spots and they don't really, um, you know, go back and forth. But okay. I think that's, some, that's definitely something else that you have to put into your, into your return to play decision. It's that, you know, I'm not going to make any coaching decisions, right? That's not my role. And that's not, you know, anywhere near my scope. Um, so I'm just going, I make the, you know, the recommendation and the, the return to play call of, is this athlete ready for, for participation and performance? Um, and that encompasses everything that encompasses them playing every single sport or sorry, every single position, um, for either 15 or 20 minutes, or it could be 90 minutes plus overtime. Um, so I have to be very confident in my return to play, uh, decision to make sure that no matter where that coach puts that specific athlete, that they'll be able to perform and have a very low risk of re-injury. Okay. Uh, What what I meant, what I meant by that is, um, you know, sometimes, you know, a player is like, he's the superstar, right? They need him. Like his 60% on the field is like equivalent to like, 200% 200% of the rest of the players. And sometimes they need those players back a little early. So that's what I mean. Like, have you ever been in a situation where you have to, you got to, you know, butt head with the coach a little bit saying like, this kid is not ready. And the coach like, just listen, we need him. Like we see that in high school all the time. I don't know if it's the same thing in college. Yeah, definitely. That's happened. You know, a good, you know, I don't want to say a good amount, but it's definitely happened. Um, and that's when, um, that objective testing is, is our best friend, you know, um, because oh, okay. we have, um, I guess I can give you a specific example of every time our soccer players go into lift, they do a counter movement jump on our force plate that shows us, you know, gives us a graph and gives us, shows us a bunch of different, uh, metrics that we can kind of control for and, and, uh, you know, give to both the athlete and the coaches. So we have a great baseline, a big data pool that we can pull from and say, Hey, this is this athlete at um, their baseline or when they're, you know, performing really, really well. And then post injury, this is where they're at. Mm, Um, And so then we can kind of show them, Hey, they're not quite where they, where we would want them to be for them to return fully. Um, So we can, in those situations, we either put them on a minute restriction. So we say, Hey, you're cleared for, you know, 30 minutes a game, um, 60 minutes a game. Um, Or, you know, we just say, you know, you're not ready. Uh, you know, sometimes the coaches understand, but, you know, at the end of the day, their jobs are, are greatly affected by that, you know? So that's true. Um, their, their reactions are definitely warranted no matter if we're right or wrong. So I'm hearing a lot of communication between you, the head coach and the player. Um, what's it like communicating with other people? So strength and conditioning, assistant coaches, um, anyone in administration, can you kind of walk us through a, a return to play considering all of those other factors? Absolutely. So uh, within our sports performance department, we have both sports medicine and strength conditioning um, in a collaborative model. So we work very, very closely together um, in the management of all injuries, um, including rehab, testing, and pretty much any other general athlete needs. So specifically for men's soccer, I talk with the soccer strength and conditioning coach multiple times a day about any updates regarding the injuries, um, any performance testing that we need to do um, either in lift or outside of lift, and then um, any specific exercises or rehab that 
they need to be doing. So we can incorporate some of that into their list, or we can just do it afterwards in terms of that. Uh, and then outside of the sports performance staff, um, we have a lot of other people that we work with. We work with, like you said, the, the sport coach. We work obviously with the student athlete. Um, sometimes parents come into play. We work with physicians, academic support staff. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of, of other people in, in our setting. Um, and for the communication aspect, we send out injury reports every day in season um, just to keep everyone up to date on, you know, stuff that's popped up from the last training session to um, doctor's appointments to, um, you know, any academic accommodations that they may need because of an injury. And then we also have weekly meetings with the sport coaches, the strength coach, academic support staff, and then any other sports med staff other than myself who are helping the team. When we go through the entire roster, we talk about um, all the rehab that everyone's doing, um, who's cleared, who's not cleared for the upcoming games or practices, and then any performance testing or physician appointments that need to be scheduled. Um, so, you know, we, we go through a lot. That's, that's uh, a lot. In terms of communication, yeah. We're talking uh, on, a, a, yeah, on a daily basis or we're we talking about like weekly, like a weekly, you have a, a weekly meeting, like a dedicated day to do all of that communication or is it like every day you're doing this? So we have a physical uh, weekly meeting um, in person with everyone and then those injury reports uh, just get sent out daily through okay. email. Um, and honestly, like, Communication is our highest priority in sports medicine, sports performance, because that's the thing that that helps us all be successful, right? Um, and limits those conflicts that we were talking about. You know, if everyone's on the same page about an athlete's limitations and participation restrictions, um, then the potential for conflict and any miscommunications goes way down, you know? Um, and everyone's a lot more happy, and that in turn makes the student athlete more happy, which is you know, that they're in the center of that, of all those people, right? We're just kind of branches on that, on that big tree. So we got to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make the, the student athlete feel as supported and, and, uh, and give them the best chance for the return. Huh. Andy, uh, how's your email game? Is email <laughs> game good? My email game is pretty good, but Jay, when, when you say <laughs> that system, I'm thinking of like when that it's so comprehensive. Like the first thing I thought of was Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs. Like, yo, like this is, this is a system. It doesn't matter like who fits in, who fits out, but like we're running this every day, every week. And like that makes long-term success, man. That That's crazy that you guys have that down to a science. Yeah. Um, you know, I could definitely say that it doesn't happen everywhere. And it's, it's very rare that it happens like this. This is this kind of collaborative model that we have is something that we're, everyone is just super, super proud of at Northeastern. Um, not to toot our own horns, but it's something that, you know, the they've worked really hard at just to establish that culture. Um, and just like you said, right, like just hearing about it, you're just like, wow, it seems like it works. Really yeah. Really and it, it does. It does. It, it seems very daunting when you first start, like with my first couple uh, – couple of weeks at Northeast and I was like I have to do all of this every single week and every single day um, but once you once you get your reps in it becomes like second nature just like you said and it's, it becomes so seamless and it makes everything so easy I don't even like sending email to my co-workers at my jobs <laughs> imagine imagine me in that system oh my god that's crazy 
So um, kind of want to take a quick second. We have a lot of listeners that are interested in pursuing a, a role in, in sports medicine. Berg, you had a question about um, the role of an athletic trainer and how that kind of evolves. Um, what was that? Yeah, because um, when I was um, an intern at one of the physical therapy clinic, I, I was working with the AT, right? And we went into the school to visit just to see what kind of work she's doing. It was like, I got a headache just watching her chasing after kids. She's taping one kid over there, screaming at the other kid to do his stretches. And next thing you know, another kid came in and said, coach, I think my ankles, you know, is not working right. Well, what do I do? Like she's managing so many different things at the same time. And she's, she's like, she's like over like 50 kids. Like all by herself. Like I'm wondering, is this like the same kind of craziness in college? Like, are you have do you do you have to manage like all these players on your own, or is is the work divided like evenly? Do you have like support staff? So at Northeastern, we're like I'm very grateful that we have um, a relatively high ratio of athletic trainers to sport teams. So um, you know. I'm, for instance, I'm not on, a, on an island with men's soccer, women's basketball. Um, obviously, like, I'm the, I'm the primary provider. Like, I go to all their practices, all their games. Um, and I travel with them to away games and stuff like that. Um, but if I need help for, like, pre-practice treatments or taping, um, or if I'm, you know, if I'm sick one day, then we have, you know, our entire staff is great about, you know, filling in gaps, helping out where it's needed. Um, and that's, that's definitely uh, specific to our setting in the Division One school. I can definitely tell you that, um, kind of like what you said, is very, very common in the high school setting and even maybe like a D3 setting where they may have anywhere from one to three to five athletic trainers for all these different sports, you know? Yeah. Um, and you just got to, just like I'm sure that athletic trainer was doing, she was just triaging and saying, hey, what needs to happen first? all right, we got that done. Like we got a multitask. I got a couple people, you know, doing foam rolling and, you know, rolling out with the crossbars and doing their stretches. And it gets to be very, very hectic. It definitely does. Especially with a big team like men, like soccer, you know? Yeah. Do you have any advice for um, anyone listening that wants to learn more about athletic training or more about like just rehab in general? There's, there's a lot of people listening that want to do something in soccer about sports medicine? Like, what's your advice? Yeah, I would say, if you, I mean, if you want to get into sports medicine, athletic training, physical therapy is the way to go. Um, obviously, if you want to do, like, the more acute sideline stuff and traveling with the team a lot, um, seems like athletic training might be your route. Uh, I would say, you know, shadow an athletic trainer and um, try to see them in a, a couple different settings. Try to see um, your athletic trainer at the high school that you go to and then try to go to your, your local college and kind of shadow that um, because that'll give you a, a very, very different kind of viewpoint of athletic, of the profession. Because I mean, if I saw what Berg saw and I did at my high school, I would not want to be an athletic trainer. You know, that, that just sounds like way too overwhelming <laughs> yeah. every single day. You know, you're like, you just don't have a break because it's only you. You're on an island. You know, if you're sick, like you're kind of done, you know? Um, so I would say, you know, get, experience in a lot of different settings of sports medicine um, and that can also be in a physical therapy clinic as well because a lot of athletic trainers and physical therapists do great work in, in outpatient clinics as well um, in terms of getting that that knowledge with 
with end stage rehab and bridging that gap between rehab and performance. Um, you know, there's a lot of continuing ed out there that, that tries to tackle that. Um, you know, whether that be just uh, looking at stuff on, on social media, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, or going to classes and, you know, taking sports specific or, you know, strength conditioning classes or, you know, interning as a strength conditioning coach. That's, that's great um, experience to get because uh, I wouldn't be as well versed as I am in this if I hadn't worked with our strength coach so much in our, in our model that we have. Yeah, you said it, man. Like that, the, this whole thing about <clears throat> bridging rehab to performance, we, we didn't learn, learn that in, in PT school at all. So all this stuff that I'm learning right now is just all continuing. You just constantly have to like look for stuff just to see how you can provide a better service to a player because uh, the, the deep, the doctorate we got in physical therapy is, is just, it's just uh, like, I would say like basic level. And once you get out it's like, Oh wow, there's just so many other things missing. So you, you always have to like keeps learning for more stuff. Yeah, and that was actually pretty similar to my athletic training education. It didn't go super, super in depth to bridging that gap. And I only really got that exposure and that experience through actually working in the field and, and talking to so many more experienced athletic trainers than, than myself. And I'm still learning so much about this, about new testing, about just new exercises to do and, and how to relate it back to, or better relate it back to their sport. All right, solid. Well, Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm sure thank you. the listeners from both the soccer players and, and the coaches and, and physios we have uh, will definitely appreciate learning from you and, and your guidance as far as bridging the gap between rehab and performance. So just thank you so much, and hopefully we'll be able to keep on talking soon. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.